You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Love Talk Live. I'm your host, Jamie Bronstein, and today I have with me Mel Schwartz. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Jamie. So happy to have you. We've been planning this for months now. And finally, here here we are. September came. Yeah, and nothing crazy has happened at all in this world. Not at all. Nothing in the news. No, I think we've I think we booked this in like January or February, something. Who knows? Right. Um, yeah, it's been pretty calm. Pretty calm. Well, we adapt. <laughs> okay, so uh, Mal is amazing. I'm going to read to you guys all about him. He has books. Um, he has amazing, amazing ways of looking at things. I was, and that's one thing I want to talk about. I'm excited to get to that. Um, how he, you have very unique ways of looking at things. Um, let me read to you guys a little bit about Mal first. So Mel Schwartz, LCSW, M. Phil, is a psychotherapist, marriage counselor, speaker, thought architect, and corporate leadership and communications consultant. He earned his graduate degree from Columbia University and is the author of The Possibility Principle, How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live, and Love. Mel is one of the first practicing psychotherapists to integrate the principles of quantum physics into a transformative therapeutic approach. His TEDx talk, Overcoming Anxiety, is on pace to receive over 500,000 views this year. Mel's most recent TEDx talk at Fenway Park, Change a Word, Change Your Life, will be available on YouTube soon. Mel practices in Westport, Connecticut, and Manhattan, and globally. So, Mel, could you please tell us, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, and this book, and then I have questions. Go for it. Well, I'll try to condense this because we could go on for hours, and nobody wants to hear me talk about myself for hours. I've always enjoyed thinking differently. Um, I have never really read anything that's in the field of psychology or psychotherapy. That's not where my learning comes from. I've always embraced what we call worldview. How do we think reality operates? And I came to see several decades ago that most of our problems are conflicted relationships, anxiety, depression, loss of meaning and purpose, came from operating from a very outdated way of thinking. 17th century science, Sir Isaac Newton. Now why? Well, Newton told us reality was like a giant machine. And we ultimately became a cogs in a machine, disconnected from each other, lifeless, purposeless, cold, austere. That would lead to depression and anxiety. But in the 1920s and 30s, quantum physics revealed that reality appears inseparable, one inseparable whole, just like the Eastern mystics have always said, but now science was confirming it. Secondly, that uncertainty was the rule of the universe. Now, I've seen in my practice, professionally and personally, that when people need to know the future in advance, which is unknowable, that's why we call it the future, creates anxiety and fear. So I thought, well, if uncertainty is reality, what if we learn to embrace it instead of resist it? If you embrace uncertainty, it equals possibilities. 
the future is wide open. So whether it's in relationship with ourselves or with others, when we take these themes, inseparability leads to compassion and empathy because we are all in it together. We said that at the start of the pandemic, we're all in it together, but it hasn't quite worked out that way, has it, sadly. But it is inseparable. Reality is as one. And when we look at a relationship that way, it induces, again, compassion and empathy and connectedness. And two, when we embrace uncertainty, all things are possible. Dialogues open up, relationships open up. So I took these themes and I put them to work in my practice 25 years ago, and the results have just been incredible. That's what led me to write my book, which teaches us to think differently, to see how our thoughts trick us in that they're telling us the truth and inform us of old realities. And it embraces and enhances every aspect of our lives. That's, that's my brief summation about the book and what brought me to my work. And I have so many questions. I don't know which one to go with first, but here it is. First question. So how do you personally work with your clients to help them change their negative narratives? The, you were just talking about how the things that people think in their minds that their ego is saying is completely false. How do you help people make that shift into what is the truth? I'll, I'll, I'll share the experience I had that led me toward this path. I was giving a talk on the change process, significant sized audience, and there was an elderly gentleman in the audience who asked a question, and I could tell from the tone in his voice, he was not buying what I was selling. He didn't believe you could change. And I was about to react out of my ego and prove him wrong, but I quieted myself, and I created some space between my thoughts to let something new arise. And a new question came in for me, which was, I turned to him and I said, so you don't think people can change? He said, that's right. And I said, could you tell us how you came to that belief? That was a stunning moment for me because I took what he felt was the truth. Instead of arguing it back with my truth, I turned the truth into a belief. You have a belief people don't change. How did you come to that belief? He told his story, his family of origin, his experience. And I said to him, well, if you had been born in my family as my brother, you'd have a different belief, wouldn't you? He said, I guess so. So we have different beliefs. So when I'm working with my clients, when they speak their truth, I'm not smart enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'll never be a success. I come to teach them that it's a belief. And I employ some quantum physics to do that. How did we come to that belief? Now, without getting too deep into science, there's this incredible phenomenon in physics whereby something doesn't become real until it's observed when you look at it. And then physics, that's called a wave collapse. Wave collapse is that reality happens when you make an observation. And I thought metaphorically, we come into life, we're in a state of full potential, but our identities start to get shaped and confined early in life because we have wave collapses. For example, I was working with a young woman who decided that she was not lovable. She had this belief her whole life. We explored her past. How did you come to that belief? She recounts that when she was six or seven years old, her mother shared with her that her pregnancy with her 
was a mistake. It was unintentional. It was unplanned. That was a wave collapse. So we have a core belief coming out of an experience, usually in childhood, not always. And out of that, we set up a belief with thousands, tens of thousands of thoughts that confirm the belief and then experiences that all become self-fulfilling prophecies. So I take the core belief and ask, how did you come to that belief? And when we can see it just as a belief as opposed to the truth, then we get to work on thoughts. I work with my clients to teach them to actually create a muscle memory where they'll speak this way. They'll say, you know, Mel, while you were talking, I had a thought come up. Let me tell you what my thought was telling me. You see, there's a distance from thought. Mm. What I call thinking. When we quiet that space and think, we come into wisdom and intuition. So we see the thought and we just quiet it. And we summon up a greater sense of knowing. And that's how I work. I, I don't think. I don't analyze, I don't diagnose, I quiet myself, and I trust the intuitive process. Mm -hmm. I work very similarly to you. It's, it's refreshing. I use my intuition also, and, and not, every, not every therapist does. And I, just, I love your whole energy. I mean, you have a very calming energy. I can see why your clients go to you and how you help people. Um, one you. of the things you just said, I had a thought, um, but it was yeah. actually from my notes from before, because um, you talk about, and I remember Oprah talked about this years ago and I thought it was amazing. Maybe it was, she had Eckhart Tolle, Tolle on the show, but you talk about that the place between thoughts is this magical place. You call it, it's where you have pure potential. So can you talk about more about what to sure. do in that spot, in that space? So going back to quantum physics, in the nanosecond, reality, the universe exists suspended in a state of pure potential. So I thought, so do we, except we can't access that potential, that possibility, if we keep having the same thoughts. So that's why I trained myself to create a space between my thoughts. Now that space, no one would observe. It's just a nanosecond. But for me, it feels like three or four seconds. And then again, when I explained, when I asked that question of that gentleman in the audience, what informs your belief? I just summoned it. It was a question that came to me because I created a space. So when we don't create a space between thought and feeling, we're in a state of reactivity. We don't see the thought or feeling, we react. But if we can say, I'm having a thought, or even if you want to say to someone, you know, I'm feeling angry right now. May I tell you why I'm feeling angry? That's an effective communication. If I don't notice the anger and I act angry, we know it's happening. It's going nowhere. So you set your intention to see thought, to see feeling, to be still, and then communicate. That's the space I'm talking about. That's the nanosecond where we access new possibilities. Yeah, I love what you're saying about instead of just reacting, like an impulse to just yeah. react. It's also good to just take a moment because so many times people, they, they do act off of their emotions and they don't even take their time to even get clear 
on how what to even process or it, it's just and it's also people react because of their uh, insecurities and they're they're just being defensive and so it, it I love your whole this whole it, it slows it all down and it requires more words like I'm having a thought or I'm having a feeling let me share with you what I'm feeling that's two more sentences by the way when you're about to engage in a challenging conversation and you're anticipating that the person is going to be reactive, there's a process which I call foaming the runway. You know, when the plane comes in hot, you foam the runway. So a couple of sentences is a prelude. Like, I've been thinking about something I want to talk to you about, but I'm anticipating you might get upset or angry, so I don't know what to do. You know, I'm hesitating. Now you are enrolling the other person. They'll say, no, I, I, I want to hear it. I won't be reactive. We move into it. We glide into it gently. It requires not shortcutting everything. You know, we live in a culture which is looking for quick fixes, simple sentences. That's not how life or relationships operate. We need to actually be more thoughtful and share more, not less. Mm. Well, I love I love everything you're saying. And I love that we're kind of going into a little bit of the relationship realm, like romantic relationships. So you talk about falling in and out of love. I would love to hear, I would love, pun intended, to hear what you have to say from your perspective, your point of view, what it even means to fall in and out of love. Um, just go for it. So falling in love means different things to different people. For me, falling in love is almost like in quantum physics, what's called entanglement. Two separate particles share a state and they have an affinity. They become as one, even though they're separate. So falling in love is a sh shared state. It gives off endorphins. Um, there's a still a sense of being an individual, but there's a sense of oneness. It gives off endorphins. It's a high, right? Now, wonderful experience. But it's so natural to fall out of love. I shouldn't say natural. It's common. The reason we fall out of love, and I think that the reason our relationships decline, simply, we have no education in relationship or communication. Arguably, the most important thing we will ever have to succeed at, we have no training in. You're illiterate in the field. So in school, imagine along with history and English and math, we were taught emotional intelligence, communication skills. What a different world it would be. Mm. So there, excuse me? Compassion, empathy. Exactly. So we are taught so many skill sets, but not how to thrive in our relationships. One of the core themes that destroys relationships is this default to right versus wrong. When I ask a couple who I'm working with, would you rather be right, would you rather be happy? They, of course, say, I'd rather be happy. And in moments, there's the automatic reflex of right versus wrong. So I've developed techniques to intervene with that right versus wrong because it assures that we're invalidating each other. And ultimately, the question to ask someone that you're close with or in a relationship with when they are disagreeing or invalidating you is to... It's particularly if it's a love relationship, you might ask, do you love me? Well, of course I love you. Well, do you care how I feel? You see, instead of arguing facts, 
we need to talk about feelings. Feelings aren't right or wrong. And if we love or care about each other, even if we don't agree, we should still care how each other feels. So when we talk about objective truth and right versus wrong, that derails relationships. It's an impasse, it goes nowhere. Whether we're talking about marriages, romantic relationship, parent-child, or even the realm of politics, the battle over right versus wrong gets nowhere. I completely agree. And I love what you're saying also just about tapping into feelings because no one can argue with how you're feeling. I mean, people can say don't feel that way, but that's not a, that's not a very successful relationship. So when you share how you're feeling with somebody, it's almost like it, it breaks down the walls and it makes them less defensive. And it's kind of like the cliche, like use the I statements, I'm feeling this way, not you did this. When we share our feelings, I mean, when we share our feelings, we're sharing our heart. We're sharing our authenticity. We're yes, sharing our but the communication's key. So if you say, you have no respect for me, we know where that's going. Right. But if I say, I need to share with you, I don't feel valued and respected by you. Now, the response might be, that's crazy. I respect you completely. Yes, but I'm trying to tell you how I feel. Do you care how I feel? And do you want to understand why I've come to feel this way? That's a deeper level of communication. Yeah. Yes. So many couples and relationships are so surface. And I, just like you, try to do anything that I can to help people focus on that deeper connection if they want to. If they sure. can, yeah. I mean, no relationship is going to be sustainable if you don't get on that deeper level. So I'd like to share with you a technique that uh, I created or stumbled upon years ago. In the midst of working with a couple who I was being unsuccessful and stopping the right versus wrong debate, a thought occurred to me. You know that place where you quiet your thoughts, new thinking comes in? And so I devised this technique, and I call it the 5% rule, which is this. When you're in an argument or a disagreement, the natural tendency is to everything you hear that you can repudiate and argue, you do. But there's usually a small percentage that makes sense that you could agree with. Typically, we shove that to the side. So what I teach people to do is the opposite. Find some small percent. Just arguably, I called it 5%. Find some small percent you can agree with. Now, instead of turning into an argument, you actually affirm and validate some small part. Now the other person actually feels listened to, valued, and respected. You have now set them up in a position where they might be interested in what you have to say. Hmm. So this technique has been very, very successful. It doesn't mean the piece you want to repudiate that you haven't given it up or surrendered it. You temporarily put it on the shelf for the moment so we can establish a dialogue, a thoughtful communication. So it begins counterintuitively by resisting the argument and the debate and find something to affirm. That sets the stage for a meaningful discussion. That's amazing, especially because I agree with you that as humans, we just want to feel seen and heard. Yes. And not pushed aside. 
And so when I love it, you're saying, is there just anything in there? Just a little window, just a little, a little nugget, anything in there that you can validate that you can just say, you know what? I value what you're saying and I hear what you're saying. I get it. Even just a little thing. That's so beautiful. Cause it, then it opens up this window and it breaks down the walls. And to further that in my work, I've come to see that two people, they can be married for 25, 30 years. They'll use a word or a term, assuming it means the same thing to both of them, and it doesn't. So, for example, I'm working with a couple, and she says to her husband, you have no idea of how to be intimate. I have no idea. Are you kidding? I'm the intimate one, he responds. I said, time out, guys. I have a hunch you may be talking about two different things. Can you each share what you mean by the word intimate? Not to my surprise, she's talking about emotional intimacy. He's talking about physical and sexual intimacy. Shared meaning is this. When the other person is talking, you pause, you slow things down, and you respectfully say, tell me what that word means to you. I want to make sure we're on the same page. I can't tell you how prevalent miscommunication is because the word has different meanings. So when we slow down and simply ask you, what does it mean? Not like you're a prosecutor, but right. out of curiosity that it's yeah. a genuine question, it slows everything down. And at least we know we're talking about the same thing because very often we're not. I just had, I'm imagining this couple that's just really heated. And then <laughs> the person's just like, what? It's a nice like break in the in heat. Well, again, we need to slow it all yeah. down, right? And then, but I'm, somebody might be like, "What do you mean you don't know what I mean?" What do you like? And then it, it might trigger them a little bit. But then, if if one person can be calm, then they, they could probably bring the other person down also. Well, you know, tone, body language, facial expression matters. So it's not. Yeah. What does that mean to you? It's. Right. I want to make sure I'm really following you. I can tell you what that word means to me. It doesn't mean the same thing to you. In other words, there has to be an honest spirit in there. There has yeah. to be an integrity because if we say we care about each other, let alone love each other, then we need to act that way and communicate that way. So that's why we fall out of love because, you know, just like you have to pass a driver's test to get a driver's license, we should need to do some of this before a marriage license. When I am at a wedding and I watch a young, beautiful couple explain their vows to each other, they'll love each other forever. And I think probably not. And that's sad because if they did premarital counseling, simply to learn communication, they stand a much greater chance. And I have had couples come to me and say, we're in love. Everything's great. We want to keep it that way. Teach us what we need to know. Mm. It's okay. a wellness approach. Yeah, and it's just being proactive, and it's it's um, being invested in your relationship. Absolutely. Oh, so beautiful. We can talk about that forever. Okay. Um, a few more things before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. So, segueing to the to just being in general stuff, um, can you talk about how to – detoxify your mind, although we kind of did already talk about that. Yeah, talk about seeing the thought and not becoming the thought. Drug-free solution to anxiety and depression, change the way we think, we pretty much covered that. 
right? So again, to overcome anxiety, realize anxiety is about our thoughts, relationship with fear. Very often in my TEDx talk is about, that's my thought having to know the future or my thought analyzing and measuring and judging myself. Anxiety is fear and it's induced by thought. See the thought, learn to release it. And depression, you're living in the past. Well, I think depression is due to a number of things that, again, are way outside the box for my field. We live in a culture in which curiosity and wonder have very little value anymore. People who suffer from depression, you'll find, don't have curiosity and wonder. I've never worked with anyone who was curious and had a sense of wonder who was depressed or a sense of awe. Let's look at the word awful, awesome. Awesome used to be something full of awe, like a magnificent rainbow, right? Or a sunset was awesome. Now, how do we use the word? Your child comes home from school and got an A on their report card or on a test. That's awesome. Now, awesome now means job well done. There's a loss of wonder and curiosity in our lives. That leads to depression. But remember, Newton's worldview, giant disconnected machine, no meaning, no purpose. We are parts in that machine. How could that not lead to depression? Depression is a loss of connection and meaning and purpose. Mm. Yeah, as you're just as you're talking, I'm thinking that if you don't have awe and wonder, it you're also kind of hopeless. You don't have a lot of that's correct in you. That's right. And the opposite of wonder and awe and curiosity is this drive to analyze everything. Analyzing should be a tool in our mind's toolbox, but for so many people, it's the only tool. There are times to analyze, but there are times you need to quiet that. So many people in our culture only analyze, they dissect. It's like having binoculars attached to your face. You miss the big picture. Well, it just goes back to when we analyze, it's wanting answers. It's wanting to feel certain about things in this world where we don't have control and we can't necessarily be certain. And, and answers are far less important again than great questions. I wrote in my book, The Possibility Principle, can you imagine a classroom where the students were not graded for the right answer? After all, a teacher asks a question, you know the answer, you raise your hand. How about a classroom or an education where you're graded for asking the best question? That is stimulating. That is intellectual curiosity. And remember, great questions don't have easy answers. A great question, you know, when, you, when I'm watching TV or interviews and someone's asked a question and they respond, that's a great question. To me, that means that's a question they want to answer. To me, when I'm asked a great question, that's a question where I've never been asked that. Let me think about that. That's a great question. Mm. You could write a whole book on asking great questions and the importance of it. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a lot of books lined up. I need to get through them all. <laughs> yeah, that'll be seven books from now. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so the last thing I want to talk about, and we kind of have already talked about it, but so, okay, so you want to break free from your past and you want to write your new script. 
it's basically everything we've been talking about. This making that shift, being in between the thoughts, having the wonder. Right. And quieting the thoughts because thoughts imprison us. They create a groove. You know, going back to vinyl records, which are coming back in style now, so even young people understand vinyl records, when there was a scratch in the record, the needle we get stuck in the scratch, we keep playing the same sound like a groove. That's what thought does. Stuck in a groove. So we need to quiet it, lift the thought up, ask ourselves, where did it come from? Does this thought serve me? Now, it is a new muscle memory, and I teach the people I work with in the workshops that I do how to develop a muscle memory to see the thought. It isn't hard. It just requires some diligence. When you can do that, you're free, and then you can write any new script that you want to. Hmm. There's a song called Unwritten. Mm-hmm. And it's you should listen to this after, you should, at some point, listen, you have to do it tonight. Okay. But it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, how just the rest of your life, it's unscripted, it's unwritten, and you have the choice to write which, it. Which requires embracing uncertainty. You know, it's ironic. People will cling even in despair and misery to the known, as opposed to opening to the promise of the uncertain, which can provide relief and joy. We are so wed to the known. We have to break through the fear of the unknown and see the unknown, the uncertain, as our ally. Mm-hmm. Well, you have so much wisdom and experience and knowledge to share. And it's all, the best part about you is that it comes from your heart also. Like you're not just, tell you're not just spewing this out and you're just a beautiful being. So well, thank, thank you so much for sharing everything today with us. Um, how can people find you, buy your book? So you my book, The Possibility Principle, is sold everywhere, Amazon. Um, my website is my name, melschwartz.com. And I will be rolling out in the next four or five weeks live interactive Zoom workshops on everything we have been talking about. So they're great learning opportunities. They create a community, they're live, people can participate, I'll respond. And if you send me an email at my web address, I'll get in touch with you and let you know when they're starting. Amazing, I'm sure you're gonna have a lot new signups from this. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you for joining us. And as always, if you have any questions, you can find me at therelationshipexpert.com. Um, and Mel, thanks for joining us. Everybody, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next week on Love Talk Live. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.